0: Wrestling Podcast, the number one podcast in Isle of Man, the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am your host, the King of Banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, a reasoned and well-explained man, the leader of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, an internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist as heard on BBC Radio, quoted by Forbes, the man with the perfectly honed instincts, the Kenta Kabashi of sex. And a good family man, Jolanza. Now that is a proper introduction, befitting of the most compelling voice in wrestling media. Well, you will notice that the captain, Rich Craich, the secretly sassy one, is not here today. And uh, I know you might find this hard to believe because he just got back from one. But believe it or not, this man is on yet another vacation. It's really unbelievable. You would think that this man is European with the amount of time off he gets. He never works. This man never works. Someone needs to start tracking these vacrations. He, he swears he gets three weeks a year. There's no shot that that's true. I don't know where these people are this time. He's sending pictures from like the woods. I, I-, I don't know why you would want to go to the woods. But we've been down this road before. We're different people. The man enjoys gallivanting around the woods. Mountains. Fucking babbling creeks. I don't know where he is. I think he's up in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. Um, I believe he's he's and and this is not playing off of last week's show whatsoever. I believe he's legitimately apple picking on this trip. This man is obsessed with apples. I don't. I never knew this about him. Um, but the man is obsessed with apples. I, I there's something going on there with the apples. Um, but yeah, Rich and the nurse on yet another vacation. It's unbelievable. Um, what can you do? You know, it's pretty crazy too. They're always the worst timed vacations imaginable. This man has taken vacations during WrestleMania week. Like 2018 or 19 or whatever it was. I mean, he has taken vacations like... In the middle of the G1. And not these hokey clap crowd G1s that nobody cares about. Daily G1 audio, by the way. Uh, Voice of Wrestling Patreon, $5 tier. Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Interest might be down in the tournament. But JL's still putting out that uh, quality audio. Championship audio on the G1. We might talk a little G1 later. I don't know, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. Um, yeah, and now he takes a vacation during the week of the biggest AEW show of all time and what might go down as um, you know, a legendary transformative episode of Dynamite. It's just, it's unbelievable, the timing of the... He, he claims they're planned like a year in advance. It's crazy. No problem. JL's here. We'll take care of business. I'll give you some championship audio. As usual. That Patreon though, let me tell you. On fire. On fire. Just yesterday, as most of you listened to this on uh, Friday the 24th. No live edition of the uh, flagship this week. Not for the solo endeavors. But a uh, couple pieces of audio yesterday. G1 Climax Night 3. Audio. Thursday TV reviews with the return of MLW. And of course the big AW Dynamite episode. With the American Dragon Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega. Rich chipping in from the road. With episode 3 of the CM Punk Best in the World series. You gotta check out this... Uh, we've we've picked on Krejci a lot. He gets it. I'm an East Coast guy. I pick on him. It's all in good fun. We all love you, Rich. Don't take it personal. Sometimes he takes it personal. Rich is a sensitive boy. I don't know if people know this about him. He can be a sensitive boy. He knows I'm just ribbing him. Um... But you gotta check out this CM Punk Best in the World series, and you gotta check out the Yes movement. Chapter one is up. And he's slow playing that one like Jovember. So those aren't he's not pumping those out. But that has probably gotten more praise than anything we've done behind the paywall. That yes movement, chapter one that he put out. Covering uh the career of Brian Danielson. So There's so much going on. I mean, we we basically have two, three pieces of content popping up every day behind the paywall. Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. $5 gets you just about everything. $10 gets you all of it. Anything we've ever done. So, uh, I want to thank all the new subscribers. We're having a uh, record-breaking month. And um, I assume most, if not all, of those new subscribers are listening right now. I want to thank every single one of you. And uh, consider sticking around through October. Got a lot of cool stuff planned, so uh, that's enough plugaroos. Hey, listen, without cranky Cratch here, why don't we lead off the show with a little WWE? Can't do that when Cratch is around. He's like, oh no, we gotta push that to the third hour. I'm like it's the biggest wrestling company in the world, guy. What do you mean third hour? He's like, I don't want to talk about that shit. Like, I don't blame you. But yeah, without Cranky Crates here, we could do a little WWE talk. Did you know that this weekend is the Extreme Rules pay-per-view? That's right. Get into it. Um, one year ago, actually one year and two months ago, because for whatever reason, the months don't line up here, was the horror show. At Extreme Rules. Live from the Performance Center. With zero fans. Do you remember this one? If not, allow me to refresh your memory. The Bray Wyatt Braun Strowman Swamp Fight. Was the main event of this show. One of Bra- uh, one of uh, Bray Wyatt's cinematic adventures. You know what else was on that show? Bailey versus Nikki Cross. You probably don't remember that one. Neither did I when I looked at the card. So many forgettable matches on these WWE pay-per-views. I could probably make up a match and say that it happens on the horror show at Extreme Rules last July and none of you would call me out on it. I bet you I could do that. But now I can't because I gave it away and you're all pulling it up on, you know, Wikipedia, or the cage match. But here's something else that was on that show. Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio in an an eye-for-an-eye match. In a match that can only be won when one competitor extracted the eye of their opponent. These were the depths that WWE was sinking to. In the heart of the pandemic. One of the worst pay-per-views. Maybe ever. In WWE history. And imagine the ground that covers. In just like the last two years alone. Let alone the entire history of the company. Just a dreadful. Dreadful pay-per-view. As we get you ready for Extreme Rules 2021. Exclusively on The Peacock. In America. Before we talk about Extreme Rules. I want to follow up a conversation we had last week. About Big E. And we may have been. One of the only podcasts. Major podcasts. That were negative on the Big E title win. A couple of weeks ago. Basically, Rich and I don't trust that this company is going to give this man a fair and legitimate push. And basically, you know, two decades of precedent are the reason for that. Also, the fact that the build to the title win was downright atrocious. The man was wrestling on a pay-per-view pre-show against Baron Corbin on the pay-per-view prior to his Cashed in money in the bank title win. Then he wins the match. Then he wins the title in a cliche money in the bank cash in. Defeating Bobby Lashley, who just wrestled a grueling 20 minute match against a WWE legend in Randy Orton with an injured leg. Just, you know. Total non-heroic babyface stuff. With a weak build to the moment to begin with. The build to Big E winning the title was winning a pre-show match against Baron Corbin at SummerSlam. And then declaring, on the day of the Raw... That he was going to cash in later that night. That's just horrendous. So we're off to a bad start with the build. We're off to a bad start with the win. Didn't exactly look like a strong heroic baby face. In winning that title. Everybody's throwing roses at this. Because everybody likes Big E. I like Big E. Rich likes Big E. Who doesn't like Big E? I don't think I've met a fan who's like. Big E Langston? Hate his guts. That guy stinks. Never want to watch him wrestle again. Totally unlikable. I hope he breaks a leg and decides to become an accountant. You would never meet anybody. Everybody loves Big E. He's affable. He's cool. He's witty. He's a power hoss. What's not to like? Right? So everybody was throwing roses at this title win. And I'm just, you know, gritting my teeth. Like, alright, I have a platform. We'll go on the flagship. And I get to express my thoughts to thousands upon thousands of people a week. I'm not going to get involved in this Twitter muck. And get piled on for being the guy pissing in the cornflakes. And I think Rich and I pissed buckets into the cornflakes on the flagship last week. You know, sometimes you just have to let people enjoy things. You, you really do. That's one thing I've learned on uh, the Twitter app and whatnot is uh, you have to let people enjoy things sometimes. There's a time and a place to be critical of things that other people are praising. And sometimes you just have to... Let something get its roses. And then a couple days later, that's when you can come in with critiques if they're fair. And this was one of those times. You couldn't go shitting all over the Big E title win Monday night at eleven ten Eastern. You you just you couldn't, you know, you're gonna come off like a curmudgeon, and people are gonna be very skeptical of your opinions, of your analysis. Because it's going to be assumed that you're trying to troll people who are just enjoying a moment. So, when you're in the pundit game, when it's your job to be critical, sometimes you have to know when to be critical. That's almost as important of knowing what to be critical of and and what to critique about things, right? When to be critical. And now we're a couple weeks into this thing. And all right, the build to the title win stunk. The title win itself stunk. They protected Lashley more than they protected Big E. We said that last week. We know it was probably an unpopular uh, take on the situation. But here we are a week later. And on Monday Night Raw, or for Monday Night Raw, they announce a huge six-man tag. It's Roman Reigns and the Usos from Smackdown Live. Is it still called Smackdown Live? I think it is. Or Friday Night Smackdown, whatever it's called. Um, I do know it's called NXT 2.0 and probably will be for eternity now. It's so annoying. All right, we get it. You know, we've established that this is the new NXT. Anyone who's watching it knows this is very much different from uh Poppy Raw. We know we understand this. How long are we going to call it NXT 2.0? Oh, probably forever. But, uh... Roman Reigns and The Usos from SmackDown... Versus The New Day back together. First time in ages. They split up the group. Necessary to push Big E, in my opinion. Uh, now, this got plenty of positive buzz... Not only from your WWE hardcores where it was legitimately considered a big match. But from people who are, you know, not necessarily devoted to WWE. People who don't normally enjoy WWE. This felt like a big match that cut across multiple bubbles of fandom. The match personally did nothing for me. I think New Day, the uh, Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston version, is an incredibly tired act. I find them off-putting and annoying. Dated. But I concede... That they're over. I like Big E as I've already laid out. But a New Day reunion does nothing for me. I haven't been interested in New Day in probably a half decade. And they existed for like almost a half decade. Early, you know before that. It's just a tired act to me. I'm done with them. The stupid trumpet. And uh, the trombone whatever the fuck. Hoo hoo hoo. It's all. It's all It's tired. I don't find them funny. I don't find them interesting. So the New Day coming back together did nothing for me. I'm not really interested in Roman or the Usos because as I've written about at length, as I've spoken about at length, I find that storyline tired at this point as well. It's not interesting to me. But I understand that a lot of people think Roman is doing the best work of his career. I don't even necessarily disagree. In fact, I do agree. I understand that a lot of people love New Day. And this was a big match on paper. It doesn't have to be for me to concede that. And it felt big. And it's Raw reacting to Monday Night Football. It's Raw reacting. Probably. To what Dynamite has been doing. Beating them two weeks in a row in the demo. They noticed. They may not sell it. But they notice. But this big match. Crossover match. Cross brands. Was a reaction to those. To those things. To multiple things. And I didn't agree with a lot of the criticisms. Even coming from WWE fans. That they're giving away a big match. You got to save this for a pay-per-view. You've got Survivor Series coming up. No. No. This is a media rights business now. You can't give everything away on TV. You do have to protect some things for pay-per-view. You gotta put, uh, you have to save some of your big matches for for paywalls, okay? But it's perfectly acceptable to give away huge matches on TV. In fact, it's not only acceptable; it's advisable. We've talked about it at length here. Most of you listening understand this, but this is not 1996. This is not 2001. Where pay-per-view was your biggest revenue driver. Where house shows were your biggest revenue driver. And maybe only do your big matches on the road. No. Ancient takes. And I know there's still people. Paid to cover wrestling. Spouting those kinds of takes. Because they cannot let go of bygone eras. This is a media rights business. And you've got to keep those television ratings up. Because that's where billions are being made for WWE and where AEW, with the numbers that they're putting up for Dolph Dynamite and Rampage, are going to look to capitalize on their next television contract. So I had no problem with doing this six-man match on Raw. People throw around the word shot" without knowing what it means. It's the newest, trendy, insider term. That 18-year-old dopes on Twitter throw around and they don't know what it means. And then I'm checking out Raw in between uh, commercials on Monday Night Football. And they open the show with the six-man tag. And then Bobby Lashley gets involved. And they announce that the show is going to close with an impromptu three-way match. Big E, Roman Reigns, and Bobby Lashley. And I thought to myself, okay, this was smart. I thought it was an eyebrow raiser when they opened the show with the six-man tag. But I figure, all right, they want to get ahead of the game, get ahead of this football game, get their big match out there, hopefully hold the viewers, and then giving them a huge main event at the end of the three hours. I thought that was very, very smart. Good idea. Two big main events. That, in theory, would have massive interest. Here's my problem with all of this. Big E lost both of these matches. And this only confirms what Rich and I spoke about last week. They don't intend to give this guy an honest push. They don't intend to give this guy a real push. The title doesn't mean anything. We know that. We know that the title does not signify that someone is necessarily receiving a genuine superstar push. Because we've seen champions booked poorly. We've seen champions not treated like genuine superstars many times in this company. And what do they do as soon as this guy wins the belt? They beat him twice, seven days later, on the very next Monday Night Raw. He didn't eat the pins. But he lost both matches and he wasn't made to look strong in either one of them. This is why we tell you to keep this company at arm's length. We're off to a real bad start. With this man's championship push. The build to the win stunk. The win itself was terrible. And we're off to a real bad start. To this man's championship reign. There is no reason. That this man shouldn't have won. At least one of these matches. And in fact. He should have won both of them. No reason. How is he not giving his finisher. To whichever dopey Uso you want to choose. And winning that six man match. Clean in the middle. No one else in that match needed a win. Roman certainly doesn't need it. The Usos and and the New Day. Nice little tag teams. None of those guys needed a a pin center of the ring. You know who could have used that? Your new world champion. Who wasn't built properly. And wasn't protected in victory. Didn't happen. all right, maybe he'll win the three-way at the end of the night. Wrong again. Roman Reigns pins Bobby Lashley. And the lasting image of Big E in that three-way match was of him being mauled with a chair and left laying. You cannot make it up. This company stinks. And this is why they can't create new stars. Who would believe in Big E after all of this? The build is terrible. He beats an injured man for the title. And then he loses twice the next week on Raw. And gets left laying after getting beat to death with a chair. This is your new world champion. Last week I told you how they should have booked his title win. Today I tell you how they should have booked Monday. Big E delivers the big ending or whatever he calls his hokey finisher to one of the random Usos and wins the six man match and stands armed, raised with his new day pals in victory reformed after all of this time. It's great to be back together. Fans are going wild. Roman looks on from the outside. A little bit of concern in his eyes. Then you can send Bobby Lashley down and set up your three-way. Any way you like. You want to have Big E get attacked from behind at that point? Whatever the fuck. I don't care. But that arm gets raised. He celebrates. And we let it sink in and let the crowd cheer. Flash forward to the end of the show. He pins Roman Reigns center of the ring. Some of you are probably saying, "Oh, Pins Roman Reigns? That's absurd. Roman Reigns is the hardest pushed wrestler in this company. He's protected. He never loses. He's dominant. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to make this guy a star or not? You have a chance to do it in one night. He wins the hype six-man match that everybody's looking forward to and is excited about and tuning in for. And then he beats Roman Reigns. The biggest star in the company. That's how you make new stars. They beat the current stars. That's how it works. They don't get beaten down with a chair and left for dead. They don't know what they're doing. They also don't care. Because of those billion dollar meteorite steals that I alluded to earlier. They're just going to keep pumping out their mediocre, too bad content. And the fans that they do have seem to enjoy this shit for some reason. But there's another company right on their heels doing things most of the time the right way and they're starting to nip at their heels. It wasn't that long ago that nobody thought Dynamite could beat WWE's show, Poppy Raw. Destroyed them, left them in the dust. Beat them so badly, Triple H was demoted, and the show was torn apart, reformatted, and half the roster got fired. That's how badly they got beat. Now, they're nipping at the heels of Raw. They're not going to beat them every week. But they're going to beat them every now and then. And then every now and then is going to turn into consistently. And then consistently is going to turn into every week. And then they're going to catch him in total viewers. And all of these things are going to happen if they don't get their shit together. But where is any indication that any of this is going to change? They had a chance to make a star over the last two weeks. A genuine, real star who everyone wants to get behind. Roll back to the top. Everybody likes Big E. We've been screaming for them to push Big E. And they continually blow it. Yeah he might get a big match at Saudi Arabia. Which he'll probably lose. Or he'll lose the title back to Lashley. Or whatever the fuck. And it's right back on the hamster wheel. And if you think of being cynical. Go listen to last week's show. Where we basically told you exactly what was going to happen this week. Without knowing the particulars. This is not going to be a meaningful push. And it's a shame. Because it's their chance to do so. And you only get one chance to push a guy to the top the first time. And unfortunately in pro wrestling, sometimes if you don't get the first one right, you don't get a second opportunity. Because you've taught the fans not to believe in that person. And maybe that'll happen here, maybe it won't. But what I do know is Big E is never getting a genuine superstar push. It's not going to happen. I would love to be wrong. Let's look at this Extreme Rules show. Which Big E, as of this recording, is not booked for, by the way. You know what is booked for Extreme Rules? From Columbus, Ohio at the Nationwide Arena? I wonder if Murder Brian will be attending Extreme Rules. Big WWE fan. Go at him. He'd love to chat about it. Ask them all about Liv Morgan versus Carmella. That's booked for the show. Who is this for? Seriously. Who wants to see Liv Morgan versus Carmella? I know Liv Morgan has her fans. One of the funniest things I've heard was... uh, One of our contributors, Andy Labar. I'm like, what is Liv Morgan's gimmick? And he nailed it. She's a velvet painting of a sad clown. That's her gimmick. That was the best description of Liv Morgan's gimmick that I've ever heard. A velvet painting of a sad clown. And she takes on the the most beautiful woman in the world. I say pump the brakes on that one. Carmella. In a match that I can't imagine more than a couple thousand people could possibly give a shit about. Who could possibly give a shit about Liv Morgan versus Carmella? Next up, we've got the Usos defending against the Street Profits. That could be a good match. Damian Priest defends the United States title against two men. Sheamus, who he's been feuding with. And Jeff Hardy, for some reason, who's been shoehorned into the match. Get into it. You know, they've been treating Damian Priest pretty well, but it's impossible to get excited. This is like when I talk about NXT 2.0. We're all excited about Rex Steiner. Braun Breaker. 2Ks. But it's like... I get excited about that guy because he looks like the business and looks like he can be an enormous star. But then you remember, his future is this main roster. So what the fuck am I getting excited about? Everything on the main roster fucking stinks. So why would I be excited about Braun Breaker... And uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna blow it. He'll come up and do some goofy comedy. He'll get you know John Morrison's fucking water gun or something. You can't trust this company. Don't get anything right. Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair. Listen, she was the last example of where we had to come on this show, and uh, you know explain to people, be the bad guys, and explain that they weren't making a star. And here we go. Coming off of her humiliating eight-second loss at WrestleMania. They're telling a story. Yeah, they're telling a terrible story that stinks and doesn't do her any favors. That's what they're doing. But you're right. It is a story. And she'll probably lose this match. What are the odds on this? Becky Lynch is minus 400. So uh, Vegas does not think that Bianca Belair... Is getting her revenge here. Now listen. Bianca Belair is eventually going to beat Becky Lynch for this title. There's no question about it. But it does not fucking matter. Man. We didn't need Cranky Cridge here. We got Cranky Lanza. What else is on this. Show. That unfortunately I'm going to have to sit through. And pray that it's decent. Um. I'm not missing Sunday Night Football, though. I can promise you that. This is getting watched Monday morning after I drop the kid off at school. You think I'm wasting a second of Sunday Night Football on this drek? You're out of your mind. Uh, Charlotte Flair against Alexa Bliss. <sighs> Roman Reigns defending defends... The WWE Universal Championship against the Demon, Finn Balor. That's right. Finn Balor is breaking out the Demon. You know what that means. He's getting pinned center of the ring. Wait, Joe, the Demon never loses. Well, he's losing this time. Roman's next match is already booked. Vegas has Roman at at minus 1,000. It's a lame duck match. So there you go. Extreme Rules from Columbus, Ohio. Nationwide Arena. Send your predictions to Murder Brian, host of Street Fight Radio. He would love to banter about this show. He's a big WWE fan. As I said. We'll be back. Alright, what do we got? What is this? This is uh, my bookie. With over $500,000 in contest prizes, money up for grabs, the NFL is back in action. And so is winning season at MyBookie. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a wide variety of boosts and free bets. Did you know that this weekend's UFC has an odds boost? UFC 266 First Blood. Anyone bleeds, you win. That's right. All main card fights qualify. $25 max bet. You can uh, make that play right now. If anybody bleeds on the main card, you win. They also have a new free $50,000 NFL Survivor Contest starting with the Week 3 action. Pick a winner on each week and move on. It's absolutely free. You can buy additional entries if you'd like. But those are the type of... Uh, Deals that you get at MyBookie.ag during winning season. In order to get started, make your first deposit at MyBookie.ag and use promo code VOICES to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code VOICES. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie, including Extreme Rules this weekend. So, uh, listen. Let's let's go over the odds for Extreme Rules. Why not? Go make your deposit, my bookie. They're gonna match your first deposit, and you can get on get in on the action here with Extreme Rules. Becky Lynch is minus four hundred. Bianca Belair plus two fifty. We've got uh, Charlotte Flair minus two hundred. Alexa Bliss is plus one fifty. Listen, we talked about this last time. Any chance, anytime you have a chance to get Charlotte Flair at those kind of odds. I think he got a jump on it. Even though I think Alexa has a chance to win that. Roman Reigns is minus 1,000. He's not losing to Finn Balor. He's plus 500. Uh The three-way for the U.S. title. Damian Priest minus 225. Sheamus plus 200. And Jeff Hardy plus 500. I think I like Damian Priest in that one. For entertainment purposes only, of course. Liv Morgan is minus 250. The... uh uh, the the velvet painting of a sad clown is uh, the favorite here over Carmella who's uh, plus 170 and the Usos are minus 150 Street Profits plus 120. Uh, that's basically a coin flip. But uh, those are the odds for Extreme Rules. That's not part of the ad read. But uh, listen, sometimes we like to tie in those pay-per-view odds to the ad reads. But uh, anyway, uh, let's move on. So we got a hodgepodge of topics to get to. Here in the uh, second segment. So uh, let's just get right into it. Oh, did you see this? I didn't plan on talking about this. But Lenny Leonard. Lenny Leonard. Booked for Game Changer Wrestling. Next time they're in New York. How about that? You know, they brought in Dave Prezak to do some commentary. Now they're bringing in Lenny Leonard. You know, I have mixed feelings on this. I credit Game Changer for trying to improve their commentary booth because... It's uh, a major weakness. Obviously, Kevin Gill is awful. Uh, MLJ, I mean, I think he could be good, but he kind of gets dragged down when he's in the booth uh, by the rest of the goofballs that are in the booth. I think Janela is okay when he's in the booth, but he's not a regular. You bring in some pros like Zach and Lenny Leonard, and, uh, you know, now you're cooking with gas, as they say. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, and I've heard some of Zack's calls with uh, Game Changer and Lenny Leonard, obviously, is one of the best in the business. I think they're above Game Changer. All right, that's going to piss some people off. I don't care. I think those two guys, and in particular Lenny, uh, I think he's above Game Changer wrestling. I think he's above that product. I understand that they draw all over the country, huge crowd in LA. Uh, you know, obviously, they draw back here. Uh, back at their home base, New Jersey, New York, um, you know the, the the Philadelphia area, you know South Jersey, of course, uh, at the show the former Showboat Casino uh, in Atlantic City. I understand that. I understand they draw wherever they go, and uh, you know, the, and they're probably the the most high profile indie right now. Uh, even though I don't love the promotion, you guys all know that, but the product itself. I feel like is beneath Lenny Leonard. I just I can't picture him calling like, I don't know, some scramble with Atticus Kogar and and fucking Billy Starks. I just it, it doesn't. I I don't know. G raver fucking maiming himself in a you know falling off a ladder through a pane of glass. I I I just I can't wrap my head around Lenny Leonard calling that kind of action. So, um. But good for him. I mean, you know, he deserves to get booked. Uh, I feel like, you know, Ring of Honor gave him a shot there with the with the women's tournament a couple of shows back. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why AEW hasn't picked up the phone. I mean, I'd be all over Lenny Leonard for either uh, those YouTube shows or shit. I mean, I'd put him on, you know, I'd put him on TV, to be honest with you. um, But I know right now there's no place for him. I understand that. They're... You Know Jim Ross and um, you know, and they like Excalibur. I look, I get it, I mean, they've already got guys in place, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I just feel like this promotion's beneath them. Um, you know, maybe I'm on island, who knows? Um, but uh, definitely an upgrade in the booth, which uh, you know, maybe they are listening to people and they know that their commentary fucking stinks. So um, good for them for that upgrade. Let's talk about. AW a little bit here. I don't know how we can't. Look, I know I've got Thursday TV reviews this week where I go in-depth on the uh, the Arthur Ashe show, the Arthur Ashe Dynamite. And, of course, uh, depending on when you listen to this, Rampage coming up this Friday from the same venue, biggest show in AEW history. But what I think is interesting is, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago on on the show here, we talked about how AEW, I mean, Chicago is their town now. It's a Chicago town. Now, I'm not saying WWE can't go into Chicago and draw a nice little house at, uh, at the building they run there. But uh, Chicago is AEW's town. They've planted their fucking flag there. They own Jacksonville, Florida, obviously. And they own Chicago. But is it time to start talking about how Jacksonville owns New York City? I know that sounds sacrilegious and all. But, I mean, it's just the truth. You you look at WWE running SmackDown from Madison Square Garden. And they put 9,000 tickets on sale. And could barely sell 6,000 of them. They pressed the panic button. They turned that SmackDown into a super show. Meaning... Both Raw and SmackDown wrestlers. On the card. And that doesn't work. They still can't push. The measly 9,000 tickets. This is Madison Square Garden. Antonino Rocca. Look him up. Bruno. San Martino. The house that Bruno built. Three generations of McMahons. Promoting this building. Pedro Morales. Bob Backlund. John Cena, who they had to convince to work one more show beyond SummerSlam to sell some tickets on this MSG show. So they put John Cena on the lineup to work a dark match. And they finally fight and crawl to the 9,000 tickets sold. And give John Cena credit, he moved tickets during this whole little mini run he was on. Did a nice job. That's why he's John Cena. so why he's a Hall of Famer. They slowly open up more sections. 200 tickets at a time. And they crawl to 10,000 sold. Meanwhile, across the street in Queens. Orange Cassidy. And Johnny Hungy. Are filling up Arthur Ashe Stadium to the tune of 20,000. Meanwhile, in the house that Bruno built, we're barely fighting and scratching and crawling to 10K with John Cena on the card. So they're slowly opening up sections. 200 tickets here, 200 tickets there. And about a week before the show, they get it up to 11,000. Keep in mind, this is MSG. Instant sellouts for decades. The home base. Nobody ever said. Oh you're going to work in Connecticut. No. It was. Oh. He's leaving the territory. He's going to. New York. This is their town. So eventually they get up to about 11,000 tickets sold. Before the day of the show. They open up 2,000 more seats allegedly sell 2,000 more tickets day of. They've got 13,000 people in the building. I strongly suspect those last 2,000 were comps, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt because it's really immaterial to the point I'm going to make. So they had 13,000 people in the building and they lied up to 14-2. 14-2 and change was the number they gave on the air. In the house that Bruno built, WWE is lying up to 14 and change. They used to lie up to 27 28,000 in this building. Now they're lying up to 14 and change. It's humiliating. And had it just been a SmackDown show, they probably would have had seven or 8,000 people in the building. You may acknowledge him, but you're not buying tickets to watch him. Meanwhile, across the street in Queens, a week after running in Newark, New Jersey, and putting a shit ton of people in that building in the shadows of Manhattan, We've got 20,000 paid or thereabouts. The number they espoused on television, 20,177. We know that at least 19,000 tickets were sold. We know they were pushing 20,000, but we don't know if they pushed it over to 2,177 for the benefit of television just just to say that they hit. The nice round number. We don't know that. But we know it was close. Let's call it 20,000 on the dot. We'll call it in the middle. Point here is. We all know they smoked. Smackdown. Plus Raw. Plus John Cena. In Madison Square Garden. And that's got to be humiliating. For Vince McMahon. in his town. Especially since AEW just ran Nork a week before. And you have to think that the Venn diagram of people who held tickets to both show. uh, You know, crossed over to some degree. Adding fuel to this fire. Is both WWE and AEW are running the same building in Long Island. Also in the shadows of Manhattan. Just in the opposite direction of Nork. One week apart. At last check, AEW is doubling the ticket sales for their Dynamite show. In that building. Versus the Raw show running one week apart. Doubling. Doubling. Listen, are we ready to declare New York City AEW's town? We're piling up some evidence here. The ticket-buying public has spoken three times now. When you need John Cena to lie up to 14000 in the house that Bruno built while the other place is packing twenty k into a tennis court across the street and beating you head-to-head in the same building one week apart with tickets that are priced identical both for television shows no house shows here This is not a good look. This is not a good look for WWE. For New York. Maybe we should start calling AEW New York. Can you believe Adam Cole jumped to New York? I thought he was with New York. Oh, no, 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 no. That's old New York. There's a new boss in town. His name's TK. We'll see on the next swing. I mean, but it it, it sure looks to me like AEW has taken over New York, which is incomprehensible. You would never think. WWE's won some battles. You know, they they won Houston. They've won a couple of other cities head-to-head. But Chicago and New York? Listen, let me tell you something. A.W. will trade five Houstons for one New York. A.W. will trade all the Des Moines, Iowas, and Sheboygan, Wisconsin's. And, uh, you know, whatever other Midwest city you want me to insult for one Chicago. Trust me. This is not good. What was good was Dynamite. The American Dragon Brian Danielson is back. He's back. If you saw that match against Kenny Omega, that wasn't Daniel Bryan. One thing that struck me, and I talked about this behind the paywall. One thing that struck me and struck me hard watching this match uh, a couple of minutes in is I knew I was watching the American Dragon Brian Danielson. You know, and it wasn't just the cattle mutilation or the, uh, you know, the arm and neck suplex or any of the moves that he busted out that he hasn't done since 2009. That added to it. Don't get me wrong. It was the look in his eye. It was the way he moved around the ring. It was his intensity. It It was the way the match was laid out and structured. The physicality. And Kenny Omega right there with him every step of the way. You could have plucked this match off of any vintage Ring of Honor show from the mid-aughts. And that's what this was. This was the American Dragon Brian Danielson. And I couldn't believe the dichotomy between his work on this show and his WWE work and how I hadn't noticed the drastic differences between that work. But it was obvious and it was striking. And um the point I want to make, because I don't want to repeat the uh the entire oral essay that I gave behind the paywall on this topic. But the point I want to make in this direction $5 tier, patreon.com slash wrestling if you want to hear. More about the return of Brian Danielson, the American Dragon. But the point I wanted to make off of this was it's uh it's time to retire the Yes chant. It really is. It's gotta go. And it has to go because it it, it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. It represents a wrestler that doesn't exist. Daniel Bryan doesn't exist anymore. Daniel Bryan was the subject of the yes movement. Not the American Dragon Brian Danielson. The yes chant was the fans' way of saying that the company was wrong, that WWE was wrong. WWE says no to Daniel Bryan, we say yes. It didn't start off that way, that wasn't the original intent, but that's what it became, that's what the chant represented. But the American Dragon is not the plucky underdog that the big bad wrestling promotion refused to push and didn't see the potential in. The American Dragon is not the flying goat. The American Dragon is not the guy that was in a cartoon tag team with Kane. The American Dragon is not the guy who lost in five seconds to Sheamus at WrestleMania. The American Dragon is not the guy who wrestled with tongue firmly planted in cheek for the majority of his WWE run. That was Daniel Bryan. And what we learned this past Wednesday is, is Brian Danielson knows the difference between Daniel Bryan and the American Dragon. He's cognizant of it, and he knows the difference. And he doesn't even want you to do the yes chant anymore. He's imploring you to stop. Partially because he wants to respect the IP of his previous employer, who he has respect for, and who he has no ill will with. And partially because he knows what I'm saying is true. The yes chant is for Daniel Bryan. And Daniel Bryan is ancient history. Daniel Bryan is gone. Daniel Bryan no longer exists. Nor should that chant. It's a relic. It should be left in the past. It served its purpose. It was fun at the time. It comes across as a dated relic. Of an era. And a wrestler. That no longer exists. It does not serve a purpose. For the American Dragon. In AEW. He's not held down. He's not presented as an underdog. He's presented as one of the best wrestlers in the world. He's treated with the reverence that he deserves. As arguably the greatest American wrestler of all time. There's no point for a counter-cultural chant to stick it to management. Because there's no management to stick it to here. They know what they have in this man. They're not doing everything in their power to hold him back. They're not presenting him as a B-plus player. A plucky underdog. They're not sticking him in the Wyatt family to attempt to cool him off. Because he's getting too hot. And that's not the plan. So the chant serves no purpose. It's just a reminder. Of a run. That quite honestly... And you may feel differently. I did not enjoy. I have no nostalgic feelings for the Daniel Bryan WWE run. I hold it in no reverence. I I thought it sucked 90% of the time. I cringed at the flying goat. I hated the Kane tag team. I was annoyed at them not utilizing this incredible, generational talent to his fullest potential. As a fan, I didn't like the run. I was disappointed when he re-signed. That part of the run was... was the worst yet. They blew the return of one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the United States one of the greatest wrestlers of this generation, compare the return of CM Punk to the return of Daniel Bryan some three years ago. His first match, he teamed with Shane McMahon. His first feud was with Big Cass. It was blown immediately. We mocked the Daniel Bryan Dream Match Tour that everybody swore he was going to go on. And of course we were right, and it never came to fruition. Of course we were right. The run stunk. He knew it stunk. He begged to be turned heel, because he knew he was going nowhere as a babyface. He made the most of the eco-warrior run. I thought that sucked too. Maybe that's a hot take. It's not how I would use the American Dragon. But that's how they used Daniel Bryan. He made the best of all of his situations. People will tell you. He may have ended three WrestleManias. And while that might be true. They were all by accident. None of those matches were meant to happen. Batista was supposed to win the title at Wrestlemania 30. The fans forced their will and forced Daniel Bryan into that match. They never wanted him in that match, let alone to win it. Kofi Kingston was never supposed to happen. Never mind that that didn't even actually main event. But for the sake of the argument, I'll include it. Ronda Rousey main-evented that show. But okay. I'll entertain the idea that Daniel Bryan main-evented that one. But Kofi was the accidental main-eventer in that one. The fans forced their will with Kofi the same way they did with Daniel Bryan several years earlier. It was another accidental main-event. And yeah it was a great match and a great moment but it was never meant to be. Nothing Brian did in that company that was positive was meant to be. If they had their way he would have remained a mid-carder the whole run. They didn't have a choice. The yes chant forced their hand. But we don't need it anymore. It's just a reminder of misuse. He wasn't supposed to main event this year. Edge bombed Daniel Bryan to the rescue once again. I have no nostalgic feelings for that run. The majority of it was utter shit. And I'm sorry that you have to hear that. Yeah, he had some good matches. It was a waste of the prime of a legendary career. And I don't care who needs to hear it. But now American Dragon is back. Let's leave the chant where it belongs. In the past. With Daniel Bryan. You know, a lot of people think that Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and Adam Cole and Malachi Black are waltzing into AEW and they're just eating up the spots of all the hot young stars and blocking the way. And I could see where people might think that. I think what people have to understand, though, is... Uh, not all of these hot young potential stars in AEW are going to work out. It's just not possible. Let's work with the premise that Britt Baker, Hangman Page, Darby Allin, and MJF have all successfully been elevated into true drawing stars for AEW. I think we could all agree if we're being fair. That all four of those people, Britt Baker, Hangman Page, Darby Allin, and MJF, to one degree or another, are now over as legitimate main event stars. So let's start there. That's an incredible accomplishment to begin with. Where in just over two years, you have successfully elevated four new stars. I mean, that's like double the total of WWE over the last eight years. I mean, that's a great job. And that's why the company... And uh, their television shows and their ratings continue to grow because they continually have done a good job in uh, in making new stars. But there's a host of others that a lot of cynics think aren't going to get there because of the presence of your CM punks and your Brian Danielsons. And uh, it blows me away to think that they think bringing in these uh, ready-made stars. Is a mistake but are they blocking the pads of Sammy Guevara and Ricky Starks and Jay Cargill and Powerhouse Hobbs and Dante Martin and Brian Pillman and the Jungle Boy and, and the Wardlaw, are they blocking the path of these people Well, here's the thing, if all 8 of those wrestlers, and those seem to be the consensus choices for the next wave of stars that the company is going to create, and I do believe that they believe in all 8 of those wrestlers just to one degree or another, I do But they're not going to land. All eight of those wrestlers aren't going to land. They're not all going to hit. If all eight of those wrestlers become top-of-the-card stars, true money-drawing stars, in addition to Britt and Hangman and Darby and MJF and all the people already there like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and John Moxley, uh, many of whom aren't really going anywhere anytime soon. In addition to CM Punk and the American Dragon and Adam Cole, who's probably going to be a bigger star than than all of these people that I've named. Then this is going to be the hottest wrestling promotion in the history of the world. I mean, they're not all gonna they're they're not all gonna be hits. Sammy Guevara's immaturity issues could, could always rear their head again and he can blow it for himself. Ricky Starks, and who knows what's going on with that neck. Maybe injury will prevent him from getting there. Jade Cargill, maybe she'll never develop into a passable pro wrestler, which is kind of a prerequisite, especially in AEW. Maybe Powerhouse Hobbs will never develop charisma. Same for Dante Martin. Brian Pillman Jr., Most of you know how I feel about him. I don't think he's got it anyway. Maybe Jungle Boy and the Wardlow never pick up promos, which is vital in a promo promotion like AEW. There's a lot of factors that can prevent any of these people from becoming top-line stars. They're trying with every one of them. They're not all going to land. And I think people need to prepare themselves for that. And I think they need to work that into their analysis sometimes. You know, maybe CM Punk is blocking the path for some of these people, and maybe he's not. But I know that CM Punk is boosting business now. And I know that CM Punk can help get some of these people over the hump. Maybe CM Punk has a feud with one of the people I named. That helped get them over to the next level. That's Punk's stated goal. Coming into this company. But if somebody like Adam Cole comes in. With youth on his side. And a built in fan base. Over his fuck. And he does take a spot that may have gone. To one of those names that I just threw out there. And he does become a top line money drawing star. That's not a bad thing. Shit's getting competitive in AEW. You got a loaded roster. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I just don't think it's possible for every one of those names to hit. And honestly, I probably left a few off. I think Tony Khan's done a tremendous job. I think he's proved himself as... uh, As just a very smart booker. He understands um, how to get people over. He's demonstrating an ability to get new stars over. I didn't believe in Britt Baker at all. I was proven wrong. But, listen. They're not all going to make it. And that's okay. Some of these names... Are going to fall by the wayside. Or have nice careers as mid carters or upper mid Because the best booker in the world isn't going to turn all of these people into stars. And I just think people need to be realistic about that.
1: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash v-o-w-net arenaclub.com slash v-o-w-net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club, and we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: We'll be back with segment three. Alright, what's next? Hello Fresh? Is that what we have here? With Hello Fresh, you get Fresh, pre measured ingredients and mouth watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Look, fall is busy. We all know this. Joe Lanza always talks about how busy fall can be. But HelloFresh recipes save time you'd otherwise spend meal planning shopping chopping ingredients it's a waste of time so you can get back to what really matters in the fall like watching football uh in your den on your four tvs uh, hello fresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week they've got vegetarian meals calorie smart choices if you're into that to extra special gourmet options if you're mr fancy pants there's something for everyone to enjoy with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity with every meal. Uh, listen, I use HelloFresh. It's delicious. It saves me time on busy weeknights, especially when I'm trying to enjoy the fall, as noted earlier. And uh, and And I just can't get enough of it. I think they do a tremendous job. So if you want to get in on this. You got to go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW14 and use code VOW14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Can you believe that? Let me read that to you again. Go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW14 and use code VOW14 to get up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. I mean, that's crazy. 14 free meals. So uh, uh, definitely go there. Definitely do that. Get your free meals for America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. All right. So I wanted to talk about this uh, RevPro high stakes show, which uh, took place on the, what was the date on that? I believe it was the 22nd. No, it wasn't the 22nd. It was actually the uh, the 19th. So this uh, RevPro high stake show from September 19th, back in your call. And uh, look, I enjoyed the hell out of this show. I, I, I know I say it every time, and I know that sometimes I probably sound like a broken record. But RevPro is just so well-booked. Uh, you can see if you follow the promotion and watch it on a show-in, show-out basis, okay, uh, you can – See things come together and understand why uh, certain booking decisions were made four shows ago sometimes when you're watching the current show. And you could see how well thought out everything is. And this show, even in an encapsulation, just this show in a vacuum, I thought was very well booked in terms of uh, the way the show was laid out. Things that happened early in the show played out at the end of the show. And the uh, bell-to-bell quality of the matches was excellent as well. Uh, there wasn't a single match on this show that I would call bad. There wasn't a single match on this show uh, that I would say was uh, anything less than uh, slightly above average. It really was an enjoyable watch from start to finish. There's a ton of uh, booking nuance that I want to dig into and talk to you guys about. And, you know, I also thought that, uh, you know, RevPro returning to York Hall... And they drew a very nice crowd. I I don't know what was up with pandemic restrictions or or anything like that, but uh, the place looked uh, as full as it's going to look during, you know, COVID-19 and the crowd was hot and uh, it was nice to see RevPro draw a nice crowd. Uh, They were one of the first British promotions to come back during the pandemic and post speaking out and all of that. And they did their empty room shows Last year during the heart of the pandemic, uh, they faced a little bit of criticism for that, but they did the right thing. They just, they just stayed the course and, 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 and did their business. And if, if you weren't interested in it, you didn't have to watch, you know, and, uh, and those shows, those empty room shows that they did last year during the pandemic really set the stage for everything that peaked at this high stakes show, um, those shows kept the company alive during a time when a lot of other promotions worldwide uh, had shut things down, and it kept their stories alive. And really, what it did was it, it it was a reset button post speaking out, as well as they started to build new stars, culminating here with Ricky Knight Jr. in the main event in the uh, title unification match with Will Ospreay. They've created a genuine star in Ricky Knight Jr., and that all started with those empty. Empty building shows, empty room shows, whatever you want to call it. That small room they were running with no fans uh, during the pandemic. And they've started to build some, uh, uh, some new stars underneath as well. The Young Guns were, were a major factor on this show and played into the big show-ending angle. We've seen uh, some other undercard and some prelim wrestlers slowly being elevated. Uh, people like Brendan White, who's been paired up with Doug Williams in a tag team. And uh, other of their, uh, a few of their other former Young Lions like uh, Kenneth Halfpenny and Sean Jackson, who we saw on this show, uh, Giselle Shaw has been a mainstay of the of a women's division in this company that's been in constant flux since they've uh, since they've returned. I mean, all of her um, top foils that she was positioned against uh, back during those pandemic shows have moved on. I mean, B Priestley is now. Uh, retired, no, she's with WWE uh, NXT UK, which is akin to a retirement. Uh, Jamie Hayter is now with AEW, and, and, you know, so that division uh, just was constantly being blown up. They lost uh, Sky Smitson for a while, but then ended up getting Sky Smithson back, and uh, and Shaw had an excellent match on this show against Hyon that we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes here when we start running down the card. But, uh, look, I'm not I'm someone who was skeptical that British wrestling was dead. Obviously, British wrestling has been through a lot. A lot of it uh self-imposed by people who are, are no longer involved in the scene. And you know, I kinda deferred to the people who were closest to it who live there. Uh, you know, who insisted that it was going to be dead and it wasn't able to, wasn't going to be able to ever recover or come back from this. But I don't know. My perfectly honed instincts always thought otherwise. I thought that, uh, look, there's no question that British wrestling has taken a step back and is going to take a step back. And, you know, progress essentially is dead. I mean, whatever this this version of progress is on the WWE network, nobody uh, connects that or thinks it has anything to do with the previous version of Pro- of progress which uh, really was something special in its place and time and that all got flushed down the toilet and there aren't a ton of people with a lot of fond memories of progress anymore but I think even the people who uh, despise what progress came to represent and uh, the way everything went down last June Uh, they, they could, uh, if they're being fair about it, they'd look back and say that progress, uh, was something that was very special, at least in its time and place before it all fell apart. Uh, I don't think British wrestling is just going to snap their fingers and return, uh, to what it was at its peak. That probably goes for the entire European scene as well. If you want to extend this out. Uh, that's not possible, but I-, I never got the sense that it was going to be dead and we were going to go back to the traveling carnival, you know, tent shows that were, you know, uh, uh, that really were made up the scene before sort of the British wrestling explosion of the, uh, of the previous decade took hold. Uh, look, it-, it's- it's- it-, it has taken a step back, but I look at a show like this with Rev Pro, who was one of the first. Uh, promotions to come back during the pandemic. and and like I said, they built a solid foundation with the with the empty room shows. and then they came back with fans and just uh, and stayed the course. And you know, this was a very encouraging sign for the British wrestling scene to draw a nice crowd in your call, a rowdy crowd your call. They knew all the storylines. They were behind all the right people. they understood what was going on. This wasn't people parachuting in. Okay, it was very clear. This crowd was knowledgeable with the current storylines. These weren't people who hadn't come new or hadn't paid attention to RevPro Pro since fucking 2019 or whatever before uh, speaking out, and the world fell apart and everything else. These are people who were obviously keeping up for the most part because they they uh, they knew what was going on with with the storylines and everything. And uh, look, I, you know, I, I give RevPro Pro a lot of credit. You know, it 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 wasn't easy to be the first promotion to come back and. And, and face a, a lot of the, quest, the, the questions and criticisms that fans had. A lot of people thought they came back too soon, but they just stayed the course. They did their thing, and, uh, and they put together a great show here, which culminated all the storylines that they had laid the foundation for a year earlier during the pandemic. And now this show sets up a bunch of stuff uh, that they can now uh, – this is sort of a, another, another reset. I mean, this show peaked everything that had started last summer. Or uh, whenever it was that they came back last year during the pandemic. And now it kicks off a bunch of new stuff that's going to carry the company uh, moving forward. So um, incredibly well booked, though. So let's go through it. The opening match, four-way tag with the Young Guns, Sunshine Machine, which is Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper. Uh, Team, T-E-A-M, Kenneth Halfpenny and Sean Jackson. And the aforementioned Brendan White and uh, his veteran partner, Doug Williams. The deal here is Brendan White is a guy who's just breaking out of sort of their version of the Young Lions system, and he's paired up with the veteran, Doug Williams. Uh, they're very similar in, in style and, and whatnot, so the idea is he's learning from the veteran. Uh, team, Kenneth Halfpenny and Sean Jackson, uh, two more guys that are sort of out of the RevPro training system, and they're working his heels right now. And then you have the Young Guns. Obviously, those are the two big prospects. Um, two young wrestlers that RevPro is attempting to build up, and, and, and they would have a major presence at the end of the show as well. They had recently, uh, on shows leading up to this, sort of been taken under the wing of heel Will Ospreay, who's kind of getting in these young guys' heads, and that's kind of the story there. And then Sunshine Machine, which is Chuck Mambo, you know, British wrestling veteran from the before times, and uh TK Cooper whose career has just uh been snake bitten ever since he broke his leg or his ankle or whatever it was um in New York City a couple of years ago and then things falling apart with uh with his tag team and his girl and listen i am not going to go through all of that drama but uh he's trying to rebuild his career and he's a really talented guy and i hope things work out for him and and i think rev pro is probably the best place right now for him to uh To to really plant this flag and uh, and try to rebuild the momentum that he had going before uh, everything just fell apart for him. But uh, the Young Guns win this, and this was a number one contender match. Later on in the show, there was going to be a match for uh, the Rev Pro British Tag Team titles and the PWA Tag Team titles. Which are an Australian set of tag titles, which if you recall, Aussie Open beat the Velocities. In a match that uh, I went five stars on earlier this year. For those PWA tag team titles. So we had a unification match there. For those two sets of titles. And the winner of this four-way. Which was the Young Guns. uh, Were being uh, positioned as the number one contenders. For whoever won later in the night. So store that away. We're not done talking about the Young Guns. As they win the four-way opening tag. Which you guys know I don't like three and four-ways. But if you're going to open the show with it. And it's gonna have a little bit of meaning. And look, this is you know this was a fun little three star uh, spot fest style opening bout, and the right team won. Next up was Shota Aminu versus Dan Maloney. You guys know I've been hard on Shota Aminu. He hasn't looked great at all. In fact, I think he's looked flat out bad in uh, uh, during the Rev Pro restart. But he's starting to get himself in better shape. He's still over with the crowd. He was never not over. Let me make that clear. The Rev Pro fans love this guy. Even when he was having those shitty matches. When he first came back with his little pot belly. The fans were still behind him. And they were behind him here. And Dan Maloney's a beast. I can't say enough good things about Dan Maloney. It worries me a little that he's still working progress shows. I don't want him anywhere near progress. I don't want him near anywhere. The WWE extended universe. Because I think uh, eventually someone's going to get eyes on him. And he's been in their system before. So... Uh, you know, he's improved. He's worked hard on his body. He's worked hard on his in-ring. He's a completely different wrestler. If you haven't seen him wrestle in the last two years or so. And, uh, Shota Aminu and Dan Maloney went out there and had themselves a G1 quality style match here. Uh, on the undercard of this show. I mean, this would have fit right in on one of the G1 shows going on right now. as like the second or third match out that gets, you know, 12 or 13 minutes. And they go out there and kill it and give you a three and a half star match. That's what this was. And uh, I'm going to lay off Aminu for a while because I thought he looked good physically. I thought he looked good in this match. And then he would be involved in the show closing angle as well. So um, good stuff, Shota Aminu and Dan Maloney. Triple threat match. Why are they calling it that? That's WWE verbiage. You know I hate that shit. It's a three-way match. Michael Oku, Chris Ridgway, and Robbie X. You know, I'm looking at cage match. Maybe cage match. D- does RevPro call it triple threat? I don't know the answer to that. And I wasn't really paying attention during the show to what they called it. But I, I hate when other companies use WWE verbiage. It's a fucking three-way match. Um, anyway, Oku successfully defends his uh, undisputed British Cruiserweight title over Chris Ridgway and Robbie X. I love Robbie X as a worker. I've talked about it a million times. I think he struggles a little bit when it comes to charisma. Uh, he doesn't look the way he works, if that makes sense. Like he works in such a way that doesn't match his look, and uh, it's funny because at one point I said he should probably wrestle under a mask because I thought it would help his charisma, and then I come to find out that years ago he did actually wrestle under a mask. So uh, uh, he tried that already, but uh, no, he's a he's a he's a solid guy to have on your undercard. I don't think he's anyone that you could ever push as a top-line guy or anything, but he's a solid-as-hell worker. Chris Ridgway, I don't know. I'm up and down on him. I'm up and down on Ridgeway. I, I, You know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm really into this guy. Other times I'm like, I don't know, he kind of sucks. Um, But he was okay here. But Oku, who uh, would have a second match on this night later on, successfully defends his cruiserweight title in this three-way. We had Yota Suji versus Mark Haskins. The story here is Yota Suji. There's a couple stories here. Yota Suji number one, he hasn't won a match in RevPro yet. And they were pounding that home on the commentary. The other story here is he turned Lord Gideon Gray down for a spot in Legion. And he's wrestling a Legion member in this one, in Mark Haskins. So there's a lot going on here from a booking perspective and a storyline perspective. And Suji looks like the business. He comes out in this outfit now, which is like, I don't know, some kind of monk-looking outfit. And then uh, he he is also in tremendous shape. He's gotten in better shape since he's left New Japan, and he has a chance to work some matches here where he's not restricted by the Young Lion structure, right? So uh, him and Haskins went out here and had a hell of a match, and Suji finally picks up his first Rev Pro win, and uh, he is once again confronted by Lord Gideon Gray, who implores him to join Legion, and uh, Suji turns him down again and beats him up. So uh, I don't know where this is going. This could be – I get the sense that this could be a Lex Luger, Tatanka style, uh, you know, um, million-dollar corporation angle where maybe at the the end of this, Suji does end up joining Legion and turning on someone else after turning them down a million times. Uh, Because I do think that Suji ultimately works better as a heel. But the fans love him. He He's really over with these fans in the same way that Shota Aminu is because I think there's a lot of crossover between RevPro fans and New Japan. I think a lot of these fans follow New Japan. They like that these uh, that these guys come over for excursion from New Japan. And they get behind them. And they have fun with it. So Suji is over. This storyline where he refuses to join Legion seems to be over. And he finally picks up his first win over... Uh, a Legion member, no less, by beating Mark Haskins. Again, very entertaining match. Got a lot of time, too. They went over 20 minutes in that one. So we had Giselle Shaw, like I talked about earlier, against On for the uh, RevPro British women's title. Best of three falls. And, you know, Giselle Shaw, a lot like Chris Ridgeway to me, where she's very hit or miss. This was a hit. I thought this uh, was intense. I thought both women showed a lot of intensity here. The first fall came very quick with an armbar to the point that I thought um, they, they had to take it home early because uh, Haiyan may have been injured. But that wasn't the case. It was just once the rest of the match played out, you can you can see why the first fall happened so abruptly. Haiyan wins the second fall and then Giselle Shaw eventually. Uh, I liked down the stretch in this one in the third fall how both women were showing – so much exhaustion because this really was a physical match. And the story was that they pushed each other to their physical limits. So they didn't go full bore at the end of the bout where, you know, sometimes you'll see that you may, you know, and you're just numb to it because in pro wrestling, uh, everyone is one speed in the the same speed in the first minute that they are in the 20th minute of a match. I thought these two did a tremendous job showing progressive exhaustion and selling the physicality of the match into the third fall. And uh, Giselle Shaw retains. Ahayan does some mic work afterwards. She's headed back to the United States. And she puts over Giselle Shaw for beating the shit out of her uh, during this match and during this run. And Shaw got put over big here. The crowd was into this. Debbie Keitel's music hits. Daughter of Harvey Keitel. I don't know if people are aware of that. I have no idea if that's true. It's probably not. But Debbie Keitel comes down. And she's holding a cup of coffee. And if you don't know where this is going, or can't see where this is headed, you probably haven't been a wrestling fan for very long. So she gets in the ring, and uh, she tosses the coffee in, in Giselle Shaw's face, uh, Tony Atlas style from, uh, from Paul Alperstein's AWF. Shout out Aaron Quinn. So she tosses the hot coffee in, in Giselle Shaw's face, and we have ourselves the next contender. For uh, Giselle Shaw's British undisputed women's heavyweight title, their titles are so wordy and mouthy. In RevPro, I will say this: uh, Gideon Gray was tremendous on commentary here, because as Kaitel was getting in the ring and the other commentator was putting over how she's uh, declaring herself the number one contender, Gideon Gray was tremendous. He's like, he's like, she needs to get in line. What about Sky Smithson? I can't blame the man. You know, he's annoyed at this. He's like, what about my wrestler? She's been here the whole time, winning matches. Why doesn't this broad get in the back of the line? Couldn't agree with him more. That was a horrible uh, Lord Gideon Gray impression because the man is obviously very British. And I don't know. I made him out to be like an, uh, an annoyed East Coast guy who's, uh, who's having road rage in traffic or something. But uh, it was more like this. Well, uh, I believe she should get in line. Uh, what about Sky Smithson? Eh? What about my bird? So there you go. There's your uh, Lord Gideon Gray impression. Not much better than the one I did the first time. But uh, Debbie Kaitel next in line for Giselle Shaw. Now we're getting into the business end of the card. Aussie Open versus Connor Mills and Michael Oku. Title unification. Aussie Open coming in with the PWA Tag Team titles. Michael Oku and Connor Mills coming in with the Rev Pro Tag Team titles. And we're going to... Uh, We're going to unify these things. There's a lot of unifications going on on this show, as you'll soon find out. But uh, look, this was fucking great. This was a great match. Um, Neck and neck with the main event for best match on the show. You really can't go wrong with either one of them. Aussie Open, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but they are going to blow New Japan fans' minds when they show up there. I mean, they... Not only are they a great tag team and, and, and quite possibly uh, the best tag team in the world right now. And yes, that includes the Young Bucks. um, But they are just perfect for the New Japan house style. Perfect. They are going to fit in like a glove. They are going to have great matches with everybody they get into the ring with. And you know, I love Kyle Fletcher. I love that. He's added some meat to it on the bones, which is something he needed to do. He was painfully thin a couple of years ago. He's uh, he's added some bulk, and he's going to need that bulk. And he's basically a mini Haas at this point, because uh, he's he was always a tall guy, but now he's added some bulk. And uh, I think his work is just uh, is just tremendous, particularly for a wrestler of his age. How old is Kyle Fletcher? I think he's still extremely young. He's 22 years old. Okay. Uh, but I want to talk about Mark Davis for a minute because, you know, if it ever comes to this, and I don't know if it will, if they stick around New Japan long enough to the point where these guys are getting booked in G1s and things like that, Mark Davis is just made and built to have banger 10 and 11-minute G1 matches against the likes of Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroki Goto. I mean, he's just built for it. If it ever comes to that, and I don't know if it will. It takes a while to book tag guys in the G1 and all that. I understand that. Who knows how long they'll be there. But if they're long term for New Japan and they're there for three or four years and it gets to the point where they're getting booked in G1s, I am just salivating for Mark Davis singles matches against uh, a good chunk of that New Japan roster. I mean, uh, you know, he, he never gets talked up. I mean, and, and we're guilty of it, too. Everybody's, you know, busy talking about Kyle Fletcher. You know, this this early 20s phenom. Uh, yeah, he's going to be so great. And people ignore Davis. This guy's, this guy's fantastic, you know. And in, in the tag match against Velocities earlier this year, and even in this match, I thought he was the standout. I thought he was the standout in both of the matches. Now, I have to give credit to Connor Mills, who I've often called the Jordan Oliver of Europe. Okay. But uh, he held his own here. This was, you know, people told me, I think it may have been uh, Ian Hamilton. Um, if it was someone else, I'm sorry. But I heard from a couple different people that Connor Mills really stepped up his game in this match. And uh, I was skeptical. But Connor Mills held his own uh, in this match for sure. And as far as Michael Oku goes, uh, the one thing that was lost with the empty arena RevPro shows was Oku kind of got exposed a little because his biggest strength is crowd connection. He's got that rare special connection with the crowd, and that's what helped him so much on the come up a few years ago when he was really making a name on the uh, on the UK scene, and you know. With the crowd back here at York Hall, you saw that come out again in full force. I mean, especially in a match like this where they're positioned as underdogs, wrestling against larger men, and they're doing a lot of selling, and they're, they're taking big bumps. That's where it really shines. You know, and, and uh, Oku's had some singles matches. I mean, the, the match against, I believe, Pac a few years ago where it really came out as well. He's so good in the underdog role. Because of that unique crowd connection that he has. And it really shined through here. And this match was just a perfect storm. Mills and Oku are perfect opponents for Aussie Open. Similar to Velocities because they're so much smaller and they can get tossed around. You got Oku in York Hall where he has that connection with the fans. And it just all came together. I don't know if this was better than the Velocities match. But it's in the same neighborhood. This is one of the best tag team matches of the year. And Aussie Open now has two of them. And they're just. They're peaking at the right time. They're headed to New Japan. They're going to be part of Empire. More on that in a minute. And uh, and they're going to blow people's minds. They really are. If you're not familiar with them at all. Or if you're only vaguely familiar with them. Maybe you saw them at WrestleMania weekend. In New Orleans a few years ago. Before they were a finished polished act. They didn't really get over. Uh, uh, that great. That year, I remember being there and fans heckling them and, and all of that. But uh, they, they're they really peaking. And I, I truly believe that they're in the conversation for the best tag team in the world. Um, I feel like if Tony Khan ever sets eyes on these guys, he's going to try to uh, get his claws into them. I think he'd be foolish not to, especially as uh, we move forward and, and hopefully the world opens up a little more. But, uh, yeah, I, they're they're going to kill it in New Japan. They really are. So... Uh, let's get into this main event. Will Ospreay versus Ricky Knight Jr. RevPro undisputed British heavyweight title. And the RevPro British heavyweight title, unification. Uh, listen, I, don't make me explain and unwind all of this. Okay. Uh, let me do the Cliff Notes version for those who don't know what's going on here. Uh, Ricky Knight Jr. Uh, won a tournament for a title of a company that was absorbed by RevPro and the idea all along was the winner of that tournament would then unify that title with the Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship um, in an eventual match. And this was the eventual match. So that's the Cliff Notes version of what's going on here. I know some of the verbiage is confusing. But we're finally going to have one champion under the RevPro banner. Not like we didn't because the title Will has was really considered you know their quote-unquote world title and is the title that you're probably familiar with you know people like tomohiro ishii um holding in the past and and uh, zach saber jr and and uh, minoru suzuki held that title i believe shibata many years ago so uh that's the title that you're probably most familiar with from revpro the ricky knight jr title that revpro british uh uh, the title that uh, that he's unified into the re- you you know what forget you guys get what I'm saying enough for this I'm confusing myself now the point here is now there's truly one title even though no one considered the other title a real world title anyway so that's all you need to know um, as far as this match goes uh, look this was great and when you're talking about long term storytelling coming together in a match you had that here. Ricky Knight Jr. While Willow Spray has been out injured and working in, you know, globe trotting around the United States, I guess he hasn't worked a match here yet. But uh, and and and, and uh, being rumored to be, you know, all the rumors that were circulating about Willow Spray leaving New Japan. While all that's been going on, Ricky Knight Jr. has been headlining these Rev Pro shows and he's been using all of Willow Spray's maneuvers. He's been hitting people with hidden blades to win matches. He's been using the Oss Cutter all to build to this eventual bout with Will to unify these two titles. And if you recall, last November, Will Ospreay won the first encounter between these two when Ricky Knight Jr. challenged for the British heavyweight title uh, the first time. That coming off a great tag match where Kyle Fletcher and Ricky Knight Jr. defeated Michael Oku and Will Ospreay to set up that title match. Rich and I talked about both of those matches and both of those shows, those were two of those uh, empty arena shows, those epic encounter shows that Rev Pro was doing at the time during the pandemic. And uh, so there's some history here. They've been building Ricky Knight Jr. up for this. He uh, He wins the tournament to set up this unification match. And they went out there and killed it. And, you know, the finish of the match in particular, was notable because they weaved all of that long-term storytelling into the finish. Uh, Ricky Knight Jr. uses an os cutter on Osprey, which he had been teasing that he was going to do all of this time. And it looks like he has him beat. But he picks him up at the two count. And the crowd kind of, you know, they, they they're all like, oh, but then they like boo a little bit even though Ospreay's the heel, right? And then he takes off the elbow pad and he's like, no, I'm going to give this guy the hidden blade and I'm really going to put a definitive end to this and prove that I'm the new guy. But Ospreay uh, recovers and counters with this ridiculous flying knee, which looked phenomenal, and then hits a hidden blade of his own and he wins the match and retains the title. And Ricky Knight Jr. looks like an absolute goof who got too cocky for his own good. He survives this hellish match where they put each other through hell. And it was a great match. And then he gets too big for his own britches and he gets a little cocky. And you can't do that against the likes of Will Ospreay. And he blows it. So now, think of the fan emotion here. You know, He spit on Will earlier. So now there's, like, sympathy on Will all of a sudden. And we think that this could be, like, another, like, double-turn situation. Now maybe, you know, because then this is all intentional because of what was to come. They did a great job here manipulating phantom motion. So you don't know how to feel about all of this. Will's putting the boots to RKJ. Shota Aminu makes the save to a large pop. The young guns, Will's hired guns, these... These young guys who Will has gotten into the brain of. They run out to save Will from Shota Aminu. So they're putting a the beat down on Aminu. Now Aussie Open runs out to run off the Young Guns to a Giant Pop. And this is all escalating as each of these run-ins uh, occur. This was like old school ECW Arena style. What's going to happen next heat? So the Young Guns and Will Ospreay are outside of the ring. And uh, they've taken a powder. Aussie Open and Shota Aminu are standing tall inside the ring. Ricky Knight Jr. is trying to catch his breath, right? And then out of nowhere, as Osprey and the Young Guns slide back into the ring, Mark Davis delivers a lariat to Shota Aminu. Nobody knows what to think now. And for a brief moment, they're still having their little standoff with the heels. And maybe you're thinking, okay, Maybe they're just badasses who feel like they don't need Shota here. Or they're standing up for themselves against the new number one contenders and, and Will Ospreay, who Kyle Fletcher has had issues with, uh, you know, in the past. That's what you're thinking in that brief moment. But then Ospreay turns on the young guns and super kicks one of them. And then the, the Aussie Open takes care of the other guy. And it's very apparent and clear what's happening at this point. As Aussie Open has joined Will Osprey, and Osprey uh, was through with the young guns at this point. He used those guys. Whether it was a giant setup or he just saw a better opportunity with Aussie Open, they're old news, and they're back positioned as the baby faces they should be. And they'll chase Aussie Open for those tag team titles now. And Aussie Open, they get their Empire, their United Empire t shirts. They're the new members, and they're perfect. So, this will bleed into New Japan as well. And the show ends uh, with Heel Willow Spray and Heel Aussie Open and a pile of bodies surrounding them all around the ring. And now you've got your next year of RevPro all plotted out. Obviously, Ricky Knight Jr. is going to learn from his mistakes and is eventually going to unseat Will Ospreay, and it's going to be a great moment. They've done a great job building this guy up. The young guns are going to chase Aussie open, and it's going to continue their elevation as they're working tag matches near the top of the card with arguably the best tag team in the world. Shota Aminu, he'll be in the mix. He'll probably have a title match with Will Ospreay at some point. He's already called him out. So there's all kinds of wheels in motion and things happening in RevPro right now. A perfectly booked show. The culmination of everything they started last year during the pandemic. A great crowd in your call. And I don't want to say Brit Wrestling is back, but RevPro's back. And they're just staying in their lane. And they're doing their thing. And they're pumping out good shows. And for the people. Who want wrestling back in the UK. They've got a good promotion to sink their teeth into. I know that doesn't include everybody. Maybe. You've thrown your hands at wrestling. If you have you're not listening to me anymore. So I'm not talking to you. Maybe you're not quite ready. To jump back into wrestling yet. I get it. But for those that are, you got RevPro. That's a start. Can't recommend the top two matches enough. And if you want to watch the match start to finish, there's not a single match that'll let you down. Good show. And this flagship was a good show. How about that? What a solo effort. Rich bouncing around the woods with KTB. Who needs him? That's not true. He'll be back next week. Take care.